Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, we are going to head this morning to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. I, uh, I have to put an emphasis on Old Testament because l- last night, uh, you know, sometimes you start speaking and you don't realize what you said. And so I was here this morning just looking at the video from last night and I said the New Testament book of Ecclesiastes and I wonder why people were looking at me like, does this guy even know what he's talking about? Who's, why is he here? So old, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Uh, before we get there, however, uh, we've been getting a series of questions uh, from some of you about the opportunity and possibility to give towards the humanitarian effort happening in, in Israel right now. And uh, the, the simple answer is, is we're working on it. Uh, we have some partners in that part of the world that said um, they're trying to get set up, trying to assess the need. And any organization that's doing good will probably tell you the same thing. They're just trying to get a feel for what what the need is. However, there are some that are, are there right now, and if you're just itching to give uh, to an organization right now, uh, what I would recommend is that you always uh, check whatever organization you're giving giving to through Charity Navigator. It's an online site in which you can um, see how the charities are rated. I would recommend nothing nothing below a four star rating, and also want like to caution you against crowdsourcing. Uh, like GoFundMe, a lot of those are scams because people take advantage of horrible situations. And so, uh, again, if you patient for a little bit, we'll have some more information about our partners there. But again, there are some other great ones as well. Just run them through Charity Navigator. Now, God, we um, we pause and we pray. Jesus said, "My house shall be a house of prayer." So in these moments together, would you help us to be aware of your presence that is all around? Holy Spirit, would you be our teacher this morning? I also hear the words of Psalm 122, that we would pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray peace, Lord have mercy. And now God, as we turn to your scriptures Would you help us to understand and perceive what it is that you're saying to us? Helping us to become a bit more like you. Amen. One of the most influential artists of the 20th century was Pablo Picasso. Pablo Picasso was once asked about his bizarre abstract paintings. To which he replied, the world today doesn't make sense, so why should I paint pictures that do? I wonder if you can appreciate his sentiment. I mean, there are certainly things about our world that don't make sense. It's incredible the way that human beings can be towards one another, and yet Most of life is a matter of perspective. We all have a perspective. We all view life through a lens, through a filter. Sometimes we have healthy perspectives. Healthy perspectives happen when we create space to to think, to be thoughtful, to reflect, to step back, and consider the bigger picture. 
Other times our perspective is unhealthy, particularly when we're reactive or gullible or, or negative. And all of our perspective finds its self and place in time. I mean, time is, is an interesting conversation. Time can be subjective. Some of us think we don't have enough time. Others of us think time moves too slow and everything in between. One of my big pet peeves in life is being late. I hate being late. I like to be on time. Matter of fact, if I'm on time, then I feel like I'm late. I like to be to be early, which is a challenge because no one else in my home shares the same sentiment as I do, which has led to some very interesting conversations. Several years ago, I was teaching a workshop for pastors in northern India, and I was told that my workshop started at 10 o'clock, and so I arrived at 9.45 a.m., When I got there, nobody was there, not even the person hosting the meeting. By 10 o'clock, nobody was there, not even the host facilitating the meeting. By about 10.15, 10.20, the host finally showed up. I said, where is everybody? It's 10.20. He said, oh, oh, they'll be here. I said, they'll be here. This is 20 minutes late. He goes, no, 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 Pastor Mike. This is India time. And by 11 o'clock, we had a full house for the workshop that started at 10 o'clock. Oh, time can be... A peculiar thing. Time, however, finds itself in eternity. I mean, what do we do with eternity? How do we wrap our minds around eternity? How do we even talk about it? It's very complex. I can just imagine being on a date with my wife. My wife and I try to take a date day once a week, and imagine us sitting across the table from each other, and I say to her, Hey, Hey, baby, you want to bat around the idea of eternity today? And to which she'd probably say, no, can we just go home and watch Netflix, right? Because eternity is complex. The, the philosopher Plato once described it as time moving imperfectly through eternity, which remains forever all at once. I have no idea what he's talking about. I mean, it's, there's a story from Brothers Grimm, the fairy tale, about a shepherd boy who's asked a question by a king. And the king says to the boy, how many seconds are in eternity? And the young boy looks at the king and says, I want you to imagine a mountain that is two and a half miles tall and two and a half miles wide. Every 100 years, a small bird comes and sharpens his beak on the mountain. Once the bird has completely worn the mountain down by sharpening his beak, the first second of eternity will have passed. One comedian once said that eternity is a long time, particularly towards the end. And if you have a paraphobia, that means you are afraid of eternity, the fear of eternity. And yet the hope of the Christian faith is eternity with God. It's with that that we now turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 in the Old Testament, beginning in verse 1. There is a time for everything 
and a season for every activity under the sun. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. This would make a great song. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The book of Ecclesiastes is is a book that is filled with deep emotion. To believe me, just turn to the very first chapter of Ecclesiastes, the writer of this book, Solomon, begins by saying, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from all of their labor for which they toil under the sun? Everything is meaningless. Don't read the first chapter of Ecclesiastes if you're depressed. It can be very, very well discouraging. And yet the book, as it moves, moves towards a greater hope because the book of Ecclesiastes speaks to the reality of life, of living, of joy and sorrow, of building and destroying, of of living and dying. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 reminds us that every one of us are mortals. We are creatures governed by time. We are creatures that have deep concern and hunger to understand how we fully live some meaningful plan in the short span that we're given. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 is of particular focus today. Solomon, King Solomon the author, writes that he, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in its time. The word beautiful is a reference to appropriate. He's made everything appropriate in its time. He has set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In our creation, in our design, God has placed within us the desire and the longing for eternity. It's eternity that God himself inhabits. God stands in eternity completely all at the same time. The prophet Isaiah writes that that God says, thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. His name is holy. He quite literally lives within eternity. In the gospel of Luke in the New Testament, the angels that announced the birth of Jesus said this of him. He'll be great. It will be called the son of the most high God. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever and his kingdom will never end. His kingdom is eternal. But you and me, we are caught 
between the tension of time and eternity. And because all of life is perspective, how then do we create an eternal perspective? How do we shape an eternal perspective while living fully today? I mean, eternity really is incomprehensible. It's hard to understand. Our mind, our mind is not wired to think that lofty. And so we say things like, you just got to live for today. You just got to live in the moment, which is okay sometimes. In other times, just living in the moment can get you into a lot of trouble. When I was 13 years old, I decided to live in the moment and almost got arrested for vandalism. True story for a different day. But Jesus, Jesus lived his mission daily, yet focused on eternity. And so as followers of Christ, we live within these two maximums. The maximum of of aspirational vision, the aspirational vision of heaven and eternity, but also the missional purpose of living for today. I mean, back to Solomon, our aspirational vision is eternity. He has set eternity in the human heart, this desire and longing for heaven, this longing for something bigger, more real than our current state. But it is so easy to dull that vision of eternity. The cardiologist Meyer Friedman wrote that culture is infected with hurry sickness which often prevents us from fully understanding eternity. And the American anthropologist Ernest Becker, who was a Pulitzer Prize-winning author, believed that the mainspring of human activity revolved around our denial of death. Oh, we don't want to think about it or, or talk about it, because death is this mysterious thing, hopefully a long way away. And though the Christian hope is that the death is simply a door that we walk through. None of us have ever walked through it, and so it remains a bit of mystery. You know, I suppose there is even fear attached to the idea of, of death because the scriptures talk over and over and over about the reality of judgment that we'll all be judged, every one of us, though not all condemned. I mean, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that we'll all stand before God. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. So then each of us, every one of us, will give account of ourselves to God. And yet those of us who are in Christ, though we're judged, will never be condemned. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So someday I'll stand before God in all my imperfections. Anybody imperfect here? I'll stand with all my faults, my failures, my sins. Oh, and I've got them just like you. I've got plenty to go around. And though I'll stand before the judgment seat of God, I know I'll be welcomed into eternity because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because that place, that time of eternity, is our, is our home. It's our true home. I wonder, have you ever, have you ever gone on a trip and after a while you, you, you got homesick? Oh, I get homesick real easy. I li- I'm a homebody. I like being in my house. 
I like going home and putting my slippers on and my flannel pajamas and putting my feet up on the couch. My dog is there on the ottoman. The fireplace is going. Maybe some ginger tea with honey and Rebecca's sitting there and Ryan's somewhere and Hannah's in college, whatever. I, but just that, that comfort of home, I long for it. But the longing for home isn't just about a place. Whenever I take a trip, I was in Oregon six months ago and I was there for a week and I, I had that homesick feeling and I realized it wasn't just for my house in Wisconsin, but it was for the people in my house in Wisconsin, the, the, the homesickness for a person. And so when I think about my eternal home, it's not just the place of heaven, but it's, it's with God, our, our Savior, the one who, who died for us. The writer of Hebrews says, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And so I had this vision towards my heavenly home, and yet eternity, the scripture says, resides in every moment beginning right now. Jesus prayed this in the Gospel of John chapter 17. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And this is eternal life, that they know you. In knowing Christ, eternity begins right now in this moment. Eternity is in, is in our heart. But there's a, a well-worn cliche that I think rings true. It goes something like this. Some of us are so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Because the truth is, we, we live right now in this moment with, with missional purpose. King Solomon says this in verse 12. So I perceive there is nothing better for them, for us, to do than be joyful and do good as long as they live. And Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, go and make disciples. And so while we live with this eternal vision, our missional purpose, according to both Jesus and Solomon, is to do good and make disciples. Do good and make disciples. I mean, that's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He made disciples, he caused, called disciples, and he did good. And in his disciple-making, he, he preached, he gave a sermon over and over and over about the good news of the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is this thing that we fully embrace right now, but puts us on this eternal trajectory. So as we do good, as we make disciples, could it not be said that we're also giving others an eternal vision of the kingdom of God right now? So I guess the question to be asked then is, are we truly desiring to follow, follow Jesus, or are we simply consumers of heaven? Because there's a difference. Am I following Jesus because I am grateful, because I love him, what he did for me, or am I following Jesus simply because I'm afraid of going to hell? Because there's a difference. It's a difference, like, it's like, did I get married because I love my wife, or I was just afraid of being alone. Because there's, there's a big difference. See, the, the promise 
of Christ, of relationship with Christ is, well, the Jewish word for it is the word shalom. We translate it as peace, but it means wholeness, abundance, goodness, beauty. The prophets of Israel used this word over and over and over. And when Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God, he was speaking about this wholeness, this peace, this shalom that could happen right now. Years ago, to graduate from college, I had to complete a three-month internship at a church. So I chose a large church in Des Moines, Iowa. While I was there, I was given all kinds of work and assignments. But one assignment uh, I was given happened on Thursday night. I had to go with a group of people, and we would go around the neighborhoods of Des Moines, and we would knock on doors, and we were supposed to go and do evangelism work, tell people about Jesus. And the way we did it was they had this, this program that they used. I think it was called something like Evangelism Explosion or something. I can't remember. But anyway... The way it worked was this, this is what we did. They gave us this little book of, of surveys. And we were supposed to knock on the door, again, this is in the 90s, right? And knock on the door, and we were supposed to act like we were taking a survey. And we would ask all these questions, and we would write the answers to their questions down. And then the last question, the very last question on the survey was this. If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Well, that's... That's like a, the, the first set of questions were like, you know, how long have you lived in the neighborhood? Do you go, and the last question is, if you were to die tonight, which to me just seemed like, what a bait and switch. I, I hated doing it. It just seems so gimmicky and inauthentic. I, and I'm sure maybe, maybe it produced fruit. I don't know, but I just got a lot of door slammed in my face. And I, I hated, I hated it. I hated doing it. I thought there was a better way. And I also think there's a better question. Because if I could rewrite that thing, The question I would ask would be this. What would happen if you didn't die tonight? What are you going to do with tomorrow? You see, as followers of Christ, we do have this aspirational vision of heaven. Of course we do. But we live right now. So if you don't die tonight, what are you going to do with tomorrow? Am I going to do good? Make disciples? Or am I going to have an unhealthy perspective on everything where everything is negative and bad and horrible? I mean, for some of us to change our perspective, the best thing we could do is turn off the news for a day. <laughs> turn off the news and open up the scriptures. Turn to some good to some good news. If I didn't die tonight, what am I going to do with tomorrow? Really, the, the best answer to that question is to, to simply change your perspective. Tomorrow, whatever comes, I'm going to do good. I'm going to make disciples. And I'm going to point others towards an eternal perspective. That's my prayer, oh God, for all of us, really. That we would live with an aspirational vision of eternity, of heaven, that someday I'm going to spend eternity with my creator. I'm grateful that 
Because I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation. But may I not forget to live with missional purpose today. That I would do good. Help me to do good. Because I have a really easy time doing bad. Help me to do good. And make disciples to share the hope I have in my faith in you. To give others an eternal perspective.